leading. Can't save by Flurry. This time to his right. Because one hour isn't enough. We welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here is a left wing opportunity. Lizana sliding. Can't save. Robin Leonard. What a stop. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at LBSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. It is hard to believe that we used to do this show just as a one-hour offering, especially at times like this where there's uh, just uh, an overflowing amount of information coming at us from the Stanley Cup playoffs and outwardly draft lottery held yesterday. Uh, We've got some uh, responses from yesterday's action in the Stanley Cup playoffs and looking ahead to this weekend's action. I want to bring you up to date on what's happening in the New York Islanders, Boston Bruins game, also the Tampa Bay Lightning looking for a three. 3-0 series lead over the Carolina Hurricanes. Some roster adjustments from the Hurricanes standpoint uh, on the way. But uh, this hour starts off with the Vegas Golden Knights uh, in a 2 nothing hole for the first time in the franchise's history. Um, Ryan Wallace, Darren Millard with you, Chris Chapman in the Fox Sports Las Vegas studio. Uh, I was on uh, Toronto radio today, uh, Wallace, and uh, we were chatting back and forth, and they said, um, how, how often when you're talking about playoff success down there, do you, do you try and remind people uh, of the year 1967? as in a, a way to say the Toronto Maple Leafs haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1967, haven't been to a final since 1967, and and here it's just winning, winning, winning. And, uh, and out of that came the uh, realization that this is the first time that Vegas has been in a 2 nothing hole. Uh, I don't sense panic, but a, a little bit of concern, certainly, about uh, where the team is coming back to Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that the concern is is certainly there for Golden Knights fans for sure because this is uncomfortable. It's not something that that this franchise has ever really dealt with. The Golden Knights have been very, very good throughout their history of answering the bell if they would drop Game One in a series. So now you're in unfamiliar territory, down to nothing in a series, but you're also going back home for two games where. The Golden Knights this year have been so, so good, especially in the regular season. You you go back to your last game at home. It's a Game 7 win against the Minnesota Wild uh, in convincing fashion. And I think you kind of add that to the type of game that the Golden Knights played in Game Number 2 in this series. I, I, I like their chances on home ice of, of evening this thing up before we head, to, uh, we head back to Colorado. Uh, the Golden Knights uh, fell behind last night, kind of a fluky play uh, with uh, the puck uh, basically skipping off the uh, the end of the the stick uh, of the shooter as uh, Alex Petrangelo uh, was uh, on the back check. So so that was uh, that was different. Uh, and then the the power play goal to win it came off of a, a questionable call. Uh, that was certainly called into play by the the Golden Knights. So there was a lot that happened between the start of the scoring and the end of the scoring. And in between all that was some dominant play by the Golden Knights. Uh, do you think do you think there's a lot of confidence that can come from that, or is every game independent of each other? I mean, generally, I think every game kind of stands on its own, but I do think that the Golden Knights gained a lot in what they were able to do in game number two. Again, the process for Vegas was much, much better in game two than it was in game one. The result just didn't match that that work that they were able to do, that they were able to get through that second and third period. But 
for me in terms of, of the Golden Knights coming back in, in game three and, and just kind of where we've gone through these these first two games, I don't expect much different in terms of how this series should play out. I, I look at both Colorado and Vegas. They're evenly matched teams. To me, this is a coin flip type series in much the same way we talked about Vegas and Minnesota. And now it's time for the Golden Knights to hold serve on home ice and and as you've been talking about it, Darren, like this is kind of the scenario you saw playing out that Colorado would be really good at home. The Golden Knights are going to have to answer that here. And that's what it comes down to, winning on your ice. And if they do that, uh, it's it's going to be a long series. Uh, they're certainly capable of doing that. We'll see uh, what, what kind of matchups uh, the Golden Knights go for. But in the early going yesterday, like there is that that wasn't we talk about the domination of the Golden Knights and how they carried the play. Uh, that certainly wasn't the case in the first period. It was uh, concerning and at times uh, uh, certainly stressful uh, first period. Mark Andre Fleury was spectacular. Yeah, I think Mark Andre was really good, and you know, again, it's kind of one of those things where where we've talked about Marc-Andre Fleury before in these playoffs of, of his ability to play well early on and allow the Golden Knights to kind of find their game in the second period and, and really kind of settle in. And and that's what I think we saw from from Marc-Andre Fleury in, in that first period and then the rest of the game where you know there weren't many chances for Colorado. But I, I think back to that save in the third period on Nathan McKinnon where McKinnon pulls the puck around Marc-Andre Fleury, tries to stuff it. Oh, off uh, the weird bounce from the boards? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, like, those are the types of plays that that you're going to need Marc-Andre Fleury uh, to make in those games, especially when the Golden Knights were running um, the shot clock so heavily in their favor. Um, He was good. I expect him to be good the rest of the series as well. Uh, the, The goal by Saad... Uh, that opened the scoring, and he kind of has a just fall off the end of a stick as Petrangelo got to him on, on the back check, and Fleury's expecting it to go one place, and it doesn't at all. Just one of those fluky plays where if Petrangelo doesn't bust his butt to get back there, uh, it might be a, a different result. Uh, and I'm glad that that wasn't sort of the... Uh, the key goal in the game. The overtime marker, I thought some of what happened in game one influenced what occurred on that Miko Rantanen shot because it it kind of, it sort of looked to me like Marc-Andre was aware of that cross-seam potential that, that Colorado used extensively in the opener. And I wonder if, if part of what happened was that he was looking and guarding against that, making sure he could get back to his right, that that, that opened up. Now, all-world shot, uh, definitely. Yeah. But just it was more, more Mark andres reaction to it that told me that he was thinking that it might go one place instead of there. Yeah, and that's such a hard read, yeah too in that moment right because we know how well the Colorado Avalanche can whip the puck around on the man advantage yeah that, that if you're Marc-Andre Fleury in that situation you you've got to you've got to respect the shot but at the same time you've got to respect Miko Rantanen's playmaking ability and the Colorado Avalanche ability to to present with more than just one option so it, it certainly complicates the play for Marc-Andre for sure uh, but again I mean it's just it's a situation where 
you get into an overtime situation or you get into a game-type situation with the Colorado Avalanche, you've got to limit the amount of power plays they have. And for the Golden Knights, giving six opportunities for, to the Avalanche on the man advantage is not a recipe for success, and it's something they're going to have to try their best to cut back on in Game 3 and in, and in Game 4. Uh, yeah, too many. Uh, a lot of what Flurry did yeah. uh, when he watched Game 1 uh, from the bench and went through their scout uh, scouting uh, of, of for the game two would have been about uh, protecting that slot area and that cross seam play and uh, it, boy he was they, both goaltenders were were incredible you saw two Vesna Trophy finalists in a in a showdown yesterday uh, in yeah. what if yeah. you can if you can eliminate it's hard to do but if you can eliminate your rooting interest. Uh, from that game and just look back on that game as a, an independent hockey fan it's one of the best games of yep. the year and it sort of lived up to the billing of what we everybody wanted to see uh, from these two teams uh, moving forward uh, just uh, one little note because it, it kind of flew under the radar Ryan uh, was hmm. that Robin Leonard didn't dress yesterday yeah yeah it's 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 interesting, right? Because as as we've tried to kind of get more information on Robin Leonard, he was not at a morning skate, did not was not on the bench, was not backing up Mark Andre Fleury yesterday, um, and and is termed right now day to day. That's kind of all we're all we're dealing with here in terms of any any type of update for Robin. So you know you look back to game number one, it, it was a, a tough game all the way around for every Golden Knight. Uh, but I don't remember or recall seeing anything there in terms of, of a potential injury for Robin Leonard, but, you know, something to keep an eye on as this series continues to progress. Yeah, and to be fair, I, I wasn't looking uh, for anything. Yeah, it, th- that's that was, point. It was so chaotic by the end of that game yeah. that uh, that we were uh, all talking about uh, Pacioretty's hit and the Graves' hit and then the the Ryan Reeves altercation, and, and I just... I didn't see anything either, but uh, to be fair and t- totally honest, like uh, I wasn't really paying <laughs> the attention to whether or not they were going to score the eighth goal or or, or not or, or what, what went into that. So with just something to keep an eye on. Uh, Logan Thompson backed up uh, yesterday. What a week for, for Logan Thompson. <laughs> yeah, do you think that uh, backing up in a playoff game or being on the VGK Insider Show was the highlight of his week? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you this: he either didn't, <laughs> he didn't know at that point that he was being recalled, or he was under strict uh, instructions not to say anything to us uh, because he's got a pretty good poker face uh, or poker voice when he was with us the other day. I'm, you know, he didn't yeah. get to play yesterday when he was called up. So I'm still going to say the, the the bigger thrill would have been uh, on the VGK Insider Show. <laughs> I mean, he sounded thrilled to be with okay. us, didn't no, he? he? he sounded like he was having a great time. No, yeah. absolutely. We got invites just, to his 40th birthday party. throw the question out there. What are you, 16 years. Make sure you, make sure you book it. 16 years. We're going to yeah. his 40th birthday party. Start planning uh, the gift. Is Chapman coming with us, or or is it just well, you and I? I mean, Logan didn't. Logan didn't say he couldn't go. No. The only person he said couldn't go was Kelly McCrimmon. <laughs> right, right, because he still, is still intimidates him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Golden Knights lost yesterday on a uh, power play goal 
by the Colorado Avalanche, and it was Riley Smith who was called uh, for the uh, the slash on the stick of Miko Rantanen. Rantanen comes back and ends up scoring the goals, uh, the goal. And uh, this is Pete DeBoer after the game discussing the penalty call and the subsequent goal. Just a soft call, but I can't even blame the refs because you know they're they're fighting through the the embellishment of of uh, you know grabbing your face or falling down or dropping your stick, you know, every period. So, you know, I, I, I can't even blame the referee on it. They, they, they fooled them on it. That was a good soundbite. Uh, Pete, Pete, Pete can bring heat when it comes to that. <laughs> it's really, and, and, I, and like over I, the years, we, we've seen that. Uh, he is not shy about voicing uh, his opinion and I, I think it has an impact in series. So, okay, here's something to keep an eye on because I think that this is intriguing. And it's two coaches that I think are, are very good at, at establishing um, kind of a narrative that they, that they're, or, or sending messages through press conferences. And that's Pete DeBoer and Paul Maurice. And I just would like, I think my brain would, would explode or it would melt or something if we were to get Vegas Winnipeg in the playoffs with Pete DeBoer and Paul Maurice jockeying for what messaging is going out through, due to their press conferences. That would just be fascinating to me. Well, you know they're best friends, right? I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know that, but that's yeah, no, awesome. they're, they're, they're best friends. Uh, so it would it would be even better then. Paul Maurice, uh, when he was coaching junior hockey, uh, start, started coaching the Plymouth Whalers and was was just in the early stages, needed an, an assistant coach, and Pete was getting his law degree from uh, the University of Windsor, and uh, they they'd been teammates uh, with the Windsor Spitfires uh, previously and uh, and bonded there, uh, I believe. I believe Paul was the captain Pete's rookie year uh, when they played junior. And so uh, Paul invited Pete to help out. And Pete became his assistant coach and liked it enough, got his law degree, but stayed on. And then when Paul moved to the Hartford Whalers, Pete took over as head coach. And they've been uh, uh, they've been best friends all along. I, I actually had them both on my podcast, The Chirp, last uh, almost a year <laughs> ago right now. I had them on together. Yeah. And uh, and we and uh, the the back and forth was phenomenal. I'll have to try and find that recording. And if if that ever happened, this is what yeah. we'll do. Yeah. If that happens, and Winnipeg and, and Vegas move on and mm-hmm. face each other in the third round, we'll play that conversation because the <laughs> it, it's a lot of it's timeless. Uh, sure. Uh, and uh, we did talk a little bit about uh, being in an empty arena and what it would be like coaching in an empty arena and who would have to tone down their language. Uh, and, and it was, um, it was, it was unanimous. Uh, they both agreed that it would be Paul. Uh, but, uh, the, the bond between those two is pretty incredible. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because they, uh, they are, uh, absolute best friends. And I think they're really, really masterful in their messaging after a win, after a loss, in, in how they approach what they say and, and the little nuggets, the little the little bits you can pull out of those sound bites. Like I, I think that both guys do a great job of conveying what it is they want to convey through the media. It's 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 
masterful to watch. It really is. Well, let's let's look at this series specifically, mm-hmm. Ryan. After the yeah. Ryan Reeves incident, the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, Jared Bednar, went out of his way to to stay away from offering an opinion on it. And and, yeah. and the closest really he came to was the, the play wasn't within the the traditions of the game. Like it was an outside sure. of a hockey play. Yeah. And and, and and it was it was like Jared was was doing as much as he could not to stoke any type of fire. Sure, yeah. And Pete Pete's the other way. Pete goes in there with uh, with uh, uh, some kindling, a couple of good old uh, logs, and some gasoline, and and he lights it up. And I, I think both are. I think there's a time for both. Uh, because you want uh, Pete's working uh, the officials a little bit in this regard, and I think it, it's 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 what you want to do. If he sees a series that's going to be dictated on power play opportunities, the way this one certainly is a lot more than the Minnesota series, then it's in the Golden Knights' best interest to try and manage that situation as much as they can, knowing how lethal the number one power play is in the uh, in the Colorado Avalanche. Now, Vegas has a great penalty kill, but if, if you can get more power plays than the opposition or at least limit their number of power plays, I I totally get where Pete's coming from on this and and understand what he's saying. And and if you think, even though the referees are independent and aren't supposed to listen to any of this, if you don't think it gets back to them, then you're fooling yourself. I'm not talking yeah, to you I, directly, I, but uh, but <laughs> the, the audience. Yeah, no, I I think it's it's masterful. It's gamesmanship it, it, at its finest, and you know I I think that. You know, if you're Pete DeBoer in this situation, in this series, you're trying to find whatever edge you can possibly find um, when when you're not out there playing the game, right? Like, Pete can't throw the skates on. He can't go out there and play the game. So as, as the coach of this team, and understanding and seeing where the power plays have kind of fallen over the course of the first two games and, and seeing what he doesn't like in terms of you know, the, the big word embellishment, right? Like, I think that you, you go out there, you've got your message, and the hope is that subconsciously it kind of seeps in a little bit and things even out as the series wears on, or at least they they kind of come down in terms of the opportunities that, that Colorado gets with the man advantage. And if that ends up happening, Pete's doing his job, period. I, think, I wish hockey was like baseball where the coaches wore a uniform. And skates. We got to see them go out there, <laughs> go for a twirl. This take it's it's not practical. Be so it's not practical. Good. It's be so great. Do you imagine running over the, the skating over with your lineup card, like Pete and uh, <laughs> and Jared Bednar ben, play the game too. Uh, yeah. Pretty good player in his day. Pete was seventh round draft pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, back in the day. Good goal scorer. Could put the puck in the net uh, too. Uh, Rod Brindamore sliding over. Rick Tockett wearing number 22, like coaches getting numbers. I think that's so cool. Do you imagine losing? Imagine like in baseball, you lose your number to the manager. <laughs> like you get traded and, and you can't get number 22 because 
because Tockett's got it, or that's ter- that, no, or that's Pete's terrible. got it. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Or the like or one of the assistant coaches. Mike Rosati's got number one. You can't have number one. Goalie coach has got it. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, uh, Mark Stone. I, like uh, I, I thought uh, Mark Stone was pretty good yesterday. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, obviously you, you kind of ran off the stats for the Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty line head-to-head with McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog. And, you know, certainly in terms of chances and, gen- and, and shot generation, like that line for the Golden Knights – was better than McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog. Like it went on the ice, head to head. Mark Stone's line was better. Now, the only thing that you're you're asking for at this point, beyond the fact that Mark Stone was very good, is you gotta find a goal, right? Like, yeah. as much well. as we are are looking for the positives, and there were plenty of positives for the Golden Knights in Game Number Two. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you just you you, you didn't get the goal. I don't know how Pacioretty's so, didn't go in. Like I thought for sure he yeah, was scoring I, on that play. Yeah, I agree with you. And and it's not it's not to say that they weren't they didn't have looks. It's not it's not to say that they didn't generate offense. It's just a matter of right now, regardless of how well you play, regardless of how how many good defensive plays you make, regardless of how many slot shots you get, yet you're going to be judged if you're Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and Chandler Stevenson in this series based on what actual production you put up on the board. So uh, we've, we've talked about process versus results a lot. The process, great for Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson last night. They've got to do what the Golden Knights have to do. That's find the result and, and find the, the result uh, that matters, and that's a win and goals. Uh, do you, when, you, when you do the post-game show, because I always come after the, uh, the podium uh, because I'm, I'm doing my own uh, thing over on the teeth and hair side, and I get to you for the extended, extended post-game show. Uh, when, yep, yep. Are you listening to the post-game, or are you watching and listening uh, to the post-game on the, on the Zoom press conferences? So it, it kind of depends on when we get to all of the – when we get to the post-game show initially. But what we do is we try our best to take all of that live. So as, okay. as we are getting – Pete, or as we are getting players, that's happening in real time as best I can manage that. So you're not watching it; you're you're more hearing it, right? I'm 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 yeah. I mean, I'm I'm watching it off of Zoom as okay. it's going. Okay. The, the reason so, I yes. ask, yeah. uh, and there's a there's a an end game here. Uh, okay. Mark Stone uh, and Mark Andre Fleury were at the podium yesterday after that three two yeah. loss, and I I've I've maybe I'm not paying close enough attention and I'm or the the feed goes away and they come back to us in the desk. But in all the times that I've watched these zoom press conferences where there's two players at the podium, I saw something unique yesterday uh, with the Mark with the C and Mark with the K. And one, one observation was Mark Andre Fleury was not happy. Like he's no. kind of playing with the water bottle and it's like he was, he was very gracious, as as he always is, with the questions uh, and and answer them uh, eloquently and uh, and honestly. Uh, but he, there was some frustration there, and uh, and he was he was feisty, uh, best I could say, yeah. as, as he was sitting there. But when yeah. when they said when uh, the moderator uh, Garrett Calloway said uh, thanks, guys, appreciate it, and they get up to leave, Mark Andre Fleury 
reached over and tapped Mark Stone uh, on the uh, on the shoulder or the arm and just said, "Good job." I've I've never seen that before. Where and I just thought it was a really I, they they dealt with some frustration. They dealt with uh, some questions about a call. Uh, they dealt with uh, being down two nothing in a series. Uh, they dealt with the disappointment of of where they are in this set compared to their expectations. And you've got this future Hall of Famer, like first ballot Hall of Famer, who's having an incredible year, uh, reach over to his captain and say, good job. Just an observation of just the another example of the brilliance uh, of Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, I, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, – for Mark Stone, first-year captain, like there's there's a lot of pressure on Mark Stone to be everything. He's the mouthpiece for this team. He's he's on nearly every Zoom call, right? Whether it's it's a, a win or a loss, whatever the case may be, it's a lot of of media to do and a lot uh, uh, on the on the shoulders of of Mark Stone. And you know, especially in these situations where you play so well, you don't get the result and. And of course, everything's going back to well. This is a new situation. You're down two nothing in a series. How are you going to respond? What do you need to do different? It's a lot to deal with. And I think that when you when you've got a guy like Mark Andre Fleury who has won three Stanley Cups, who's a future Hall of Famer, who has been a leader on nearly every team that he's ever played on, I think it's really nice to kind of see Mark Andre Fleury recognizing some of that pressure that Mark Stone has to be feeling and being there to help pick him up when it's needed. And and that's a great observation by you. We have some breaking news from the National Hockey League and the suspension number is in for Mark Shifley of the Winnipeg Jets after the huge collision yesterday in game one of the North Division final on Jake Evans. We'll bring you that on NHL one-timers on Fox Sports Las Vegas, the BGK Insider Show, next. Brought to the near wing. Big shot, he scores! It's time for one-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day. And it's a tie hockey game. On the BGK Insider Show. Let's get to it. Darren Millard along with Ryan Wallace. We're in the uh, Fox Sports Las Vegas studio along with uh, Chris Chapman. Uh, Breaking news uh, coming out from the National Hockey League and the Department of Players Safety. Winnipeg Jet forward Mark Shifley who hit Jake Evans in the late going of last night's opener of the North Division final when Evans put the puck into an empty net. Shifley has been suspended four games as a result of his actions. If the term of the suspension is not fully served in these playoffs, it will carry over to next year's regular season. Mark Shifley is arguably... Winnipeg's best player Uh, and he flat out plowed through Jake Evans on that play I don't think it was a headshot I haven't had a chance because this is uh, breaking news right now how player safety uh, viewed it but it was probably the cleanest dirtiest hit I've witnessed because of the violent nature of it like there was no there is no means of the the idea of body checking when it was invented or it came about was you check somebody with the with your body to separate them from the puck and then you take the puck. Uh, that was not 
uh, a play where you were trying to separate the player from the puck and take the puck. That was frustration from Shifley, I'm, I'm sure, because uh, the, the goal by Evans uh, was going to put the game away, a two-goal uh, gap, and and give Montreal uh, the opening game of the series. Uh, the, the distance that Shifley traveled to make that hit looked like they were trying to put, he was trying to put Jake Evans into the fifth row. So, yeah, it's interesting, and, and you know, we we haven't had a chance, as you mentioned, to watch the video yet, but here are some of the quotes from the Department of Player Safety video that was put out. Excessive momentum gained from traveling a considerable distance, finishes his check violently and with unwarranted force, significant head contact, caused an injury, and predatory. So, you know, it's one of those plays where I, I think, you know, Mark Shifley's face after the fact said it all, right? Like, you see the immediate shot of Mark Shifley after he delivers that hit to Jake Evans and the, the look on his face, it says it all. Because that looked to me like a player that realized he had messed up bad. And, you know, the only thing that, that I, I really say on this one is it's, it's, a, it's a cheap hit in terms of it, it's charging, it's violent, it was one of those plays where I, I think you, you can't really argue against um, what the intent is there. Shar uh, Shifley does not make a play on the puck as Evans is trying to wrap it around and put the puck home. Um, and so I think four games is perfectly fine, especially when you consider that he's got no prior incidents with player safety. Now, that all being said, um, my only concern now is for Jake Evans and his well-being and to, to make sure that he gets, uh, you know, back to normal and, and is able to get back in and play some hockey. But beyond that, I, I think four games is, is perfectly okay. It's more than I thought. I Like, I could, I could see the argument based on how squeaky clean Mark Shifley's been in his career um, for going, like, two to three. Um, but I, I think that this sends sends a bit of a strong message here, so like I'm good with it. What message? Don't do that. Don't make those plays. Like if you're going to say, or if you're going to to act in those moments where where uh, you 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 can kind of hide behind trying to make a play on the puck, but you're going out there and that's an intent to injure, and that's what I think that was. Like I'm sorry. Mark Shifley finished Jake Evans because he was trying to hurt the player in that play. Not because he was trying to make a play on the puck, not because he was trying to save an empty net goal. The only thing that, that Mark Shifley was thinking there is, I'm burying that player. And and again, like it might not have been a clear headshot, but there's significant head contact. Yeah, the, absolutely. Like, the, the, the onus right now is to try to protect these players as best as, as you possibly can and try to get rid of those types of hits. And, you know, as, as far as, as that goes, the distance traveled, the violence with which that hit was thrown, I don't like it. There's no place for it in the game. What does Sam Bennett get? One? For going uh, yeah. across the ice? Yeah. It's two, that's two of them. Of like, where, like, charging has been more the issue than than anything else. It wasn't a bang-bang a, a play. You... Sam Bennett in the first round and Mark Shifley in this one 
traveled a long, long distance. Uh, look, I, I was concerned for Jake Evans last night, and not just yeah. just like whether he's going to be hurt, concussed, uh, a neck injury. I, I was, as I watched that, I was concerned concerned for his for his like life. It was such yeah. a violent collision that it uh, it made me pause and uh, catch my breath. Uh, the good thing is Jake didn't even go to the hospital. Uh, he was able right. to be looked at. They have one of the best and longest-serving doc, team doctors uh, in the National Hockey League, and Doc Mulder, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, who can uh, he just he's seen everything and been through every type of situation that you could imagine uh, on the ice or or as a as a physician. So uh, I, I, I absolutely uh, don't don't question him. But I was surprised when I heard that that Jake Evans didn't spend the night in the hospital and didn't even go to the hospital. Uh, a couple of the players talked about uh, seeing him in in and around the team uh, uh, dressing room and uh, back of the hotel, and they said he was he was definitely uh, concussed, and there was like some shock uh, that he'd just uh, gone through that. And and the other part of it is there's some anger. Uh, here's Joel Edmondson, a Montreal defenseman. Uh, this is prior to learning about the number, but uh, some strong words and, and some words that, that I'm sure he would like to take back uh, a little bit uh, on this, but this is in the in the immediate uh, moments after the game last night. Yeah, I mean, it was a dirty hit, um, but the league's going to take care of it. And, you know, if he gets back in the series, uh, we're going to make his life miserable. But, uh, you know, I think the, the league's going to do a good job with that. If he gets back in the series. Well, there, there's there's a chance he could get back in the series. Uh, the, the earliest that Mark Shifley will be able to play again in the set between Winnipeg and Montreal will be game six. Uh, you mentioned Paul Maurice in the previous segment, uh, talking about being able to influence and being able to choose his words carefully. It was an interesting post-game reaction uh, from from the head coach of the player that delivered that hit, uh, and knowing in in that time period where you're not sure of the state of, of Jake Evans, he was stretched off the ice and uh, was was conscious, and uh, some of the players uh, were able to to wish him well. But here's Paul Maurice just in the immediate uh, post-game uh, report. Well, hopefully, young men's. Uh going to be all right um it's, it's it's such a highly unusual play because when you're back checking back to to kill an empty net play you're going you're coming full speed you know, when mark stopped skating he kept his arms in it's a heavy heavy hit there's no doubt about that and, um i'm sure the league will have its opinion league will have its opinion they did it's a four-game suspension winnipeg knew and Mark Shifley, you, you said it, Ryan. Like it, there was a reaction of, "What have I done?" Like there was, yeah. there's an immediate recognition that he's going to face supplemental discipline. I'm not sure four games was what they were expecting. Probably in around two. Again, because he went through yeah. the player, but the distance traveled uh, is is definitely part of it and catching a player who's in a vulnerable position and that's a it's not a true like tried and true blindside hit but the player's coming around uh uh yeah. in in that regard and and he did like it was it was somewhat of a clean hit as far as 
the collision goes. But when you factor everything else, distance, time, everything, uh, it, it, it adds up to a suspension. You know the other thing that, that comes into it? And Dominic Moore, I thought, did uh, voice this uh, well on the NBCSN uh, telecast. Harvard guy, smart guy. Uh, you've got you've got one player in Shifley skating basically the length of the rink to try and break up that play. Yeah. Uh, you have yeah. Jake Evans coming around the back of the net and moving towards Mark Shifley. Like this isn't this yeah. isn't uh, two players colliding along the boards, basically going the same direction or the boards there. They're going right at each other, and that, as we know, uh, even increases the uh the the violence of the collision between the two players but mark shifley gone for the next four games uh i i wonder if he'll appeal that yeah it'll be interesting to see i, I mean i i think if if i'm mark shifley in, in the winnipeg jets it, you almost owe it to yourself to just go for it and try mm-hmm. right like especially when you consider um that he's got no prior suspensions and really hasn't had any any incidents in the past where there have even been remotely questionable hits. Like, I, I think that that's certainly an avenue they, they can take. But, um, you know, this is just a, a, a bad play in, in a, a bad decision at the end of a game. And for the Winnipeg Jets, losing Mark Shifley is going to hurt in this series, especially when they're already behind the eight ball down one nothing. Oh, yeah, Montreal won the game. Montreal won the game. Uh, we should uh, also mention... Uh, we've got uh, a giveaway. You, your chance to go to Sunday's game, game four of the yeah. West final coming up in just a little bit. Uh, the nominees for the Calder Trophy have been uh, released. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, Robertson, Nedeljkovic, uh, all uh, honored there. Um, I, I think it's going to be uh, Kaprizov. I don't think that's a, a huge shock uh, coming from, from me, given the, the loads of compliments that we've <laughs> heaved on him. But Jason Robertson had a massively great year uh, for the Dallas Stars. And Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, who plays goal for the Carolina Hurricanes, was on waivers at the start of the year. And now he's a Calder Trophy winner. Oddly, he's not playing tonight. Or replaced by Peter Mrazek as the Carolina Hurricanes try to get on the board. Uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning down 2 nothing in that series and the Boston Bruins have a one nothing lead on the New York Islanders uh, in game three of that series it's all tied up at one there was one other note that I wanted to mention uh, in in the uh, the old uh, one-timers oh the Minnesota Wild are hoping to sign Kaprizov to a contract extension <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna start yeah. with a whole lot of money uh, as, as he's up by dollar, dollar Bill Carrillo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I talked to Billy Garen about his his choice for <laughs> nicknames for Kaprizov. This yeah. is a month or so ago, and I wasn't yeah. surprised that he liked Kirill the Thrill because he didn't want to throw any more <laughs> uh, shade uh, of uh, of green on Kaprizov. Uh, knowing that uh, that dollar dollar Bill Carrillo. Uh Let's uh, qualify somebody to uh, potentially go to Sundays. Game four of the West Final. Okay. Caller number five. Caller number five, you will win a VGK hat, a two-foot sub from Porta Subs, and you'll be qualified to win two tickets to the Golden Knights Avalanche game this Sunday at T-Mobile Arena. 
702-876-1340 is the number. Caller number five. You've won a hat, a two-foot sub from Porta Subs, and you'll be in our drawing for Game 4 tickets to Vegas, Colorado this Sunday. One more chance to win tomorrow during our number one of the VGK Insider Show, and then we'll make the draw, and we'll let you know uh, whether you've won. So right away, win sub, you win some, uh, some great swag. And he could be in the building on Sunday for Game 4. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Findlay Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here's Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. As we get set to wrap things up on hour number two, between games two and three of the Golden Knights Colorado Avalanche West Division Final, Throw this at you. Boston and the Islanders. Is that the forgotten series of the second round? Yep. Like, strange. Yep. Tampa, Carolina, a lot of publicity, a lot of attention on, on that one. Uh, focus of uh, it, the star power uh, and the rise of the Carolina Hurricanes. The North Division is the North Division. And uh, and the, the best series of them all is the, is the West Division with the top two teams in the National Hockey League. But it's interesting. You've got an original six team against uh, one of the great uh, uh, secondary franchises in, in, in expansion. Um, uh, the Islanders who have been around since the early 70s and won, won all those Stanley Cups. And it's just kind of like flying through the, the uh, underbelly of the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think that has probably more to do with the Islanders than it does the Boston Bruins. But, um, I, I mean, listen, I've actually watched uh, the first couple of games in this series. I think it's been pretty fun, pretty good, uh, especially with the Bruins kind of coming back in game number two and then ultimately a turnover that everybody could see coming and a, a, a goal from Casey Sezikis that was just inevitable. Um, but, I mean, I think it's been I think it's been pretty good. I, I prefer... Carolina Tampa because the the potential for a great game is always there between those two clubs but you got to give credit to the Tampa Bay Lightning to uh, for just kind of not really playing into that track meet that Carolina would like them to play yeah that series um, has sucked compared to what we thought it yeah, might be it really it it really it really has and I think it's because Tampa is content to just kind of strangle the the life out of the game because they've got so many guys that can just score up and down the lineup that they only need two or three. Like, that's it. Did I see right uh, that uh, Brad Marchand did something uh, a little bit nasty in the Islander game? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a slash to the face. <laughs> oh, was it? Of Travis Sait. Yeah, a slash to the I face. I didn't see the whole thing. Yeah. I just saw, uh, like, a, a quick replay. I looked up, and then I was, because uh, I was focused on the show. As far as uh, as opposed to Chapman, who's like, like just zeroed in on Mash uh, in, yeah. in in the studio yeah. uh, here, um, I, I but I didn't see exactly what happened uh, because Marchand, uh, he's kind of like become less of a, a an annoyance and and more of the like he's kind of shedding that image a little bit. Yeah, well, every now and again, Good. you gotta nice you gotta show him. the world exactly who you are as Brad Marchand. But yeah, it was uh, it was Zajac and Marchand. They were jousting a bit in the uh, in the neutral zone, and a stick came up. And it's uh, it's technically high sticking, but it was more like slashing of the face. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll watch yeah. with a great interest. I don't know who's going to win that series. To be quite honest, you you don't think the Islanders have a, have a big drive? <sighs> no. 
Um, mm. I don't. I mean, like, I love I love watching Matt Barzell. Like, I, I think he's just he's great. But I, I want to see him just be able to do more. I I understand Islander hockey. I understand it's successful. Uh, but I I want to see up and down. Uh, I want to see teams that 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 push the pace offensively and. The Islanders are very patient in waiting for their opportunities and then trying to be opportunistic. We have uh, two minutes left, which is time to bring in Chris Chapman because he used <laughs> up two and a half minutes of his time off the top of the show when he wasn't supposed to speak. And he chimed in, and I warned him. And, uh, well, the, the hen has come home to roost because you've uh, now you've got less time than you anticipated. Well, now you're cutting into my time. <laughs> oh, no. So... If you're watching, on for hours. if you're watching the Islanders and, and the Bruins game, and you're, the game is being played in, at the Nassau Coliseum, there's a lot of banners hanging up in the rafters, a lot of history hanging up there. But there's two banners that may catch your eye. One is Billy Joel, who we played coming back with the number 34. That's the amount of sold out shows Billy Joel has played at the Nassau Coliseum. Makes sense. He grew up in Hicksville, about 15 minutes from the Coliseum. Yes, only 34. Only 34, eh? But the other one that's hanging up, there is a tie-dye one, and that belongs to the Grateful Dead, who actually have the most sold-out shows at Nassau Coliseum. At 44, they played their first show on March 15th, 1973, and they played another 43 shows at the Long Island venue through 1994. No other act has played the venue more then the Grateful Dead. So that's why they decided to put up a banner for Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, and the guys in the Grateful Dead. Rats. Rat played there a lot. I'm sure they have. No, no, I mean the rats. Like, they play around there. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the band no, rat. No, 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 no. I mean rats. That, seem, that seems more your style, 1980s hair metal. I rat. love my hair metal. Yes. I, I love it. So I think it's goofy that they put up banners for bands. I think it's cool. Toronto did that with Bon Jovi. I'm a big Bon Jovi fan. That's but I not think shocking. It's, it's, I think that's goofy. Uh, hey, we'll be back with you tomorrow. Tee up game three live from T-Mobile Arena. Golden Knights trying to get into the wind column against the Colorado Avalanche. Chat with you then.